The following is a special bonus episode for Earth Week 2021. Kermit the Frog is Bob Cratchit and he like goes up to Scrooge, played by Michael Caine, and he's like, oh, excuse me, Scrooge, uh, the bookkeepers <laughs> could use some more coal for the fire. And for whatever reason that day, and it has only happened once, but I forgot the stage, so I drove up to the person's house I was going to perform at and I just sort of looked in the back of my car and I'm like, where's the stage? Fourth mate, Mike, uh, one of me mates, he made uh, Lobert using an oven mitt. Are you telling everyone about my, what I'm made out of? Yes. Okay. Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers. This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... I started doing a series of workshops just on making puppets out of things that you might have on hand. And yeah, they were often things that you're, were going to be recycled or things that were going to be garbage. So make a puppet out of an old chip bag was one that I did, or mm -hmm. make a puppet out of a yogurt container make a puppet out of a soup can. So it's, yeah, it's a great way to just uh, teach kids to reuse things instead of throwing them into the landfill or recycling wherever they're headed. So. The Purple Pirate is ready to set sail on his latest adventure, a thrilling quest to find one of the most mysterious creatures of the sea, the Big Purple Whale. The Purple Pirate, Lobert the Lobster, and many other colorful characters are the creations of Mike Harding, founder of Apple Fun Puppetry and a professional puppeteer for over 20 years. Here's a conversation Ian had with Mike, followed by an Oceanside chat with Ian's two new puppet friends. So your shows strike a pretty neat balance between entertainment and education, and environmental education is one of the many hats that you wear, kind of like the hat that you're wearing right now. Uh, <laughs> shows like The Purple Pirate cover many other branches of education, pun intended mm -hmm. again. What are some of the common themes in your shows? So I'd say the most common theme is sort of like fair play or that kind of uh -huh. thing is, is the most, most of the shows have that element and just, you know, human connection, I guess, which is pretty broad, pretty broad um, themes. But I think they all sort of have, have that respecting one another, you know, and then other sub themes come into it, like the environment or bullying sometimes and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, in The Purple Pirate, reciprocity is a big part of the messaging in that one. Treating people nicely. If you want something, you have to do something for it. I, I don't want to give away spoilers, of course, but that's no. certainly prominent in there. Yeah, The Purple Pirate is uh, was never written as uh, uh, an environmental show. I think those elements sort of came into it uh, accidentally. And um, so it's better that way, I think, yeah. Yeah, by no means does it ever seem forced. It's it's there, it's inherent. I mean, obviously the topic, you're on the seas, you're pursuing a whale. Again, don't want to give too many spoilers away, but that, that is the general premise. And there there is some interesting messaging about respecting nature, respecting each other, not judging mm -hmm. people by their outward appearance and so on. And, and that mixes in lots of environmental and, and social aspects. 
How do you find that balance between entertainment and education? Well, I guess when I start the shows, when I start writing the shows, and I don't always write them, sometimes I improvise the shows and then write down what I came up with mm -hmm. later. But when I do write the shows, I, I always start with from the point of view of entertainment. And then I find out what's in there that's <laughs> that I can sort of use to be educational. Because it's a puppet show, so I think it needs to be uh, entertaining first. So I start with the story. I start with something that, that interests me at, at whatever period of time in my life I'm at. And, um, and I write the story based on that. And then quite often there's things that I can pick out from that that have some kind of a lesson to them. So, yeah, does that answer your question? It's sort of... That's how I get the balance. I, I start with major, I just start with entertainment, an entertainment show. And mm -hmm. then I try to find that five or 10% of that thing that I've written that is, has got a message to it. And I think that's enough. Like I, I never want it to be heavy handed or preachy or anything like that. Right. So um, that's sort of, and that was never, a, that's not a conscious uh, decision I ever made. It's just naturally how it's sort of, started and then you know sometimes the shows reveal themselves right so you you write the show and start doing it and then you're like oh this part is kind of I, I didn't think of that before that this part is kind of educational when you think about it so that's where it comes from that's where i get the balance and i'm sure a lot of that comes from the just the reactions that you get and kind of the yeah. oohs and ahs and that's the beauty of live in-person shows imagine yeah. the novelty of that <laughs> yeah one day but yeah, that that's I was I was gonna say that too is the audience will tell you sometimes the things that you don't know about it because part of my program in most situations is I do a puppet show for half an hour and then I come out for fifteen minutes and answer mm -hmm. questions and in those questions a lot of the times the things the issues will come up like why was this character so mean to that character not that there's a lot of meanness in my show <laughs> but sometimes there's like a greedy character or something like that sure. And so then you start talking about that with kids and you're like, well, you know, what, uh, what else, maybe there's a greedy character and he loves money. And then and you start talking at the end about, well, what else is there to love besides money? And then next thing you know, you have your educational element, right? Because there's lots to talk about there. And, and then you can take those things from the discussion and put them into the show a little bit more. So um, yeah, lots of the times the audience will, will, will let you know, or even you're lucky enough to have a teacher or a, uh, or someone in the, an adult in the audience who gets, makes connections for you, right? I, I once did a show and there, it was sort of loosely based on the Wizard of Oz and I had the three characters, the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion and the yeah. Scarecrow. And each of them had a sort of a different function in the show. And, and I wasn't really sure what it was. I just had sort of written it loosely around the Oz storyline. And then after the show, a man came up to me and he said three words to me. And he said, I think it was like, the th the, it was the three things that those three characters are looking for, I think, like love, uh, knowledge, and courage, I guess. Yeah. And I, I mean, those are seem like obvious things, but I hadn't really put them into clear categories like that. And then I was just like, oh, if I just say it like that in the show, it becomes much clearer. So that's part of it. That's part of it is like um, having a dialogue with the audience after. Yeah. Each show is obviously a living and breathing organism. Yeah. Which is the beauty of live theater in any form. Uh, mm -hmm. I've done some live theater in my day and it always amazed me how much a puppet will upstage a human. Like every time, like yeah. I was in a show once in fourth year university and I was in a scene, it was a very dramatic scene and I was singing yet there was a, sh a puppet show happening simultaneously. And I hmm. did not have a, a hope in heck 
of people paying attention to him because they were looking at the puppets. And I remember like one of the puppets heads fell off during one of the shows. And that was all people could think about. It's even more gripping. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it that puppets just capture our imagination so much and consistently upstage humans? Yeah. That's the story of my life, right? Is like, mm -hmm. I'll be like during that questions and answers period at the end. Uh, I once had a, a lady say, you know, when are you going to go back into the box <laughs> to me? <laughs> when am I going to go back into the puppet show? Which I took as a compliment. But yeah, I'm constantly upstaged by the puppets. And I, uh, during the after show part of it, when I'm out there talking with the kids, I'm not a ventriloquist. My mouth is moving and the puppet is there, mm -hmm. but they, they still engage with the puppet instead of engaging with me. Right. They prefer that. They prefer that. And so I was thinking about it and I think the reason is like, it's, if anyone has a dog, it's the same thing. If you go out and walk your dog, <laughs> the attention is all about the dog, right? If you go out walking with your dog and then go out walking without your dog, <laughs> yeah, it's no different. one really pays much attention to just a human, <laughs> right? Right. I don't know what that says about us, but um, the dog is, is, is an attention getter. And, and, and I think it's because they're smaller and they're, like a puppet they're maybe slightly more vulnerable and so mm. people's hearts go out to them and i think maybe that's part of it with puppets um but there's also that um there's also that element of something that's alive but isn't quite alive that's i think that's just compelling for people to see and that's like even with really good compute even not just computer animation even any kind of animation that's well done becomes eye-catching because it it approximates life, but doesn't completely imitate life. So I think people find that interesting. Yeah, by being not 100% realistic, it leaves that little bit of intrigue and invites the imagination to sort of fill in the blanks, which just inherently is engaging. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like reading a good book and you're mm -hmm. invited to fill in the blanks. It's not all there, right? Your imagination probably fills in, you're not even, I guess, a well-written book. <laughs> Your imagination just fills in so much that you, that the, the rest of it is leading you to, does that, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like, it becomes yours. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's part of it too. When I was learning to design puppets and make puppets, I think I heard somewhere not to make them too realistic like don't you know t i leave off a lot of details when i make a puppet and design a puppet i'd leave off a nose often or i'll leave off eyebrows or ears or <laughs> all these things and right. part of the reason is to simplify it so you're only creating something that's partially it's recognizable as, as a, a living thing but it also at the same time it's clear that it isn't a living thing talking with green teachers is produced by green teacher a nonprofit that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. For only $32 a year, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. The seas are calm on this stretch of ocean. Perfect conditions for sighting even the most distant whale. But alas, no spouts can be seen anywhere. The journey continues. Your puppets, I know, have been described as Muppet-style puppets. Is that a fair representation? That's what I call them. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I used to describe them, for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. so sort of the the big yapping open mouth that mm-hmm. just opens and closes. It doesn't have any more nuance than that, but it it works. And we see that in things like Sesame Street, which I certainly watched a lot as sure. a kid. Mm-hmm. An interesting thing with a show like Sesame Street is that you have humans interacting with puppets and the Muppets were, were very much the same. Like one of my all time favorite movies is a Muppet Christmas Carol. And, mm-hmm. you know, halfway through, you know, every Christmas season when I'm watching it and halfway through, I'm like watching the scene where Kermit the Frog is Bob Cratchit and he like goes up to Scrooge played by Michael Caine. And he's like, oh, excuse me, Scrooge, uh, the bookkeepers <laughs> could use some more coal for the fire. And then like Michael Caine, totally straight, without showing any indication that he's talking to a Muppet, is like, how would a bookkeeper's like to be? Unemployed. It's like, oh, sorry, <laughs> sir. I'll go back to my place now. But you buy it, even though it's like a puppet of a frog that doesn't even really look like a frog when you think about it. Yeah. But it, yeah, when you think but about it, it works. Yeah. So like, do you do the human talking to puppet in live action at the same time kind of thing sometimes? Or what's your take sometimes. on it? Yeah, well, I love it. I have a few questions about that, actually. Like, not many, I don't, why is the Muppet Christmas Carol your favorite? Uh, it's your favorite movie? What One, it's sort of one of, one up, one up. One of my but it favorites, would be, yeah. And is it, because to mention that one above, like, the other Muppet movies, like the right. the Muppet movie and the Muppet, Great Muppet Caper. Uh-huh. Because it was, just from my point of view, it was after Jim Henson had passed away. That's right, it, it was, was the like, first one. That was one. the opening of the new era, right? Yes, so, it was. And it was a hard movie for me to take because I was yeah. like, well, that's not Jim Henson. And where's, it's not his voice. Yeah. But anyways, I don't know. What is it about that movie that... Yeah, I think it. I think it's nostalgia. I mean, the age, I was, I don't know, seven or eight when it came out. Oh, and yeah. maybe it's like the homey Christmas nostalgia is probably a, a bigger factor in it than just the form of the movie. And I mean, Michael Caine's great. He, yeah. he could play Scrooge in any incarnation yeah. of A Christmas Carol. But yeah, for sure, that I was less aware at that age of the added context that it was the first movie after Jim, Jim Henson had passed uh, away and that yeah. the various voices were not him and were, were different. And yeah, I, I think the timing probably had a, a lot to do with it. And I like the songs too. But. Yeah, oh, I mean, it's a good movie. And when I watch it back now, I'm like, yeah, this is good. But yeah, I see that. Yeah, it's an age thing. You're much younger than I am, obviously, because yeah. <laughs> I was that age watching those other two movies that I mentioned, the Muppet Car- uh, Muppet Caper and uh, yeah. the Muppet movie. And uh, yeah, so that's interesting because if you, if you don't necessarily have that basis of comparison, it stands on its own. And then, mm-hmm. and that's quite often a better thing. So I'm glad that you had that uh, experience. It took me a few years to, to start to like that movie. <laughs> yeah. More. Well, it's an interesting perspective though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the before and after. And the other thing was very good in per- impressions of of kermit and michael Caine. oh thank you yeah yes, very thank you very much the classic <laughs> cockney michael Caine accent i'm sure i couldn't do it unless i really practiced um but that wasn't <laughs> your... a bit of raspiness <laughs> yeah it was good it was good well i don't remember what you asked me though now yeah just about a puppet and a human interacting in live action at the right. same time like you see in the muppets like you yeah. see in sesame street and people being able to buy it is that something that you roll with or what's oh, your take i would on always that? roll with that yeah yeah i i think my shows are just that's what they are because my shows are not like sit quietly and watch my shows are a dialogue and a rowdy sometimes rowdy kind of invitation to the audience to to interact and so it's all about like the 
kids talking to the puppets, but it's not that it's not really that face to face one on one. And that you're, I think, talking about like when, mm-hmm. when, when on Sesame Street, Kermit would be sitting on a wall and there'd be a little kid sitting next to him, or even yeah. on the Muppet Show, and he'd be sitting on a wall, <laughs> always on a wall because the puppeteer was behind the wall. Yeah, as you, it's not a big secret, I guess. <laughs> um, Surprise. Yeah, sorry to ruin it, but um, yeah, that, those were always, especially the ones with kids, because you have two elements there like the spontaneity of the kid and the kid believing the the character so so you just know like when you watch those ones that you know that that kid is like completely enamored with this character yeah they're buying it yeah they're buying it and and even if they're not buying it they're more than prepared to just go along with it Mm. you know where whereas when you watch the adult do it you're like like, "Hmm, maybe they don't really believe it or maybe they do or you just don't trust it as much but um, yeah, sometimes after my shows too, like in that question answer period too, there'll be more chance for a more direct, uh, dialogue with the kids. And, uh, that's always very valuable. Like sometimes they'll interact very directly and with the, with, intimately with the, with the parent, with the, the puppet. And it's very interesting to see that. And you do that with, like with you showing yourself voicing the puppet you're, you're not making any effort in that kind of case to hide the fact that you are controlling and voice in my opinion in my experience mm. that doesn't matter like even yeah. Uh, yeah recently i've started doing these puppet chat things and it's different yeah. yeah so it's more like i'll put the puppet right into the camera and the zoom over zoom like it's almost like there's more opportunity for that for what i do on the internet now to have those those dialogues like just have a conversation with somebody with a puppet it's just it seems like uh it's a good medium for that so that's something new that i'm sort of exploring now to do yeah it's part of this big pivot and obviously there have been many limitations with having to do things virtually but you just mentioned one of the new opportunities of going virtual and mm-hmm. Have there been any other eye-opening opportunities that you've seen over this past year where it's like well i can't be in person so Mm-hmm. Now we're going to do something different. I mean, has anything changed for the better for you? Yeah. I have to say, like, at first I was, when the pandemic first hit, I was like, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. And I started thinking about getting a job somewhere. Like another, I mean, another mm-hmm. job. <laughs> sure. This is a job. <laughs> and um, I have to remind myself sometimes that's that's the fact. It is. But now that I've sort of, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of work to try to to find new new places to go, right? And so now I'm not limited by where I can drive to because it's it's you know I used, I used to only do puppet shows sort of around where in the southern Ontario region where I live because it's all within driving distance, yeah. so it's all cost effective sort of for me to get to these places. But now, mm-hmm. if it's online, I can do a puppet show you know anywhere, anywhere in the world. I don't speak any other languages other than that. I could do anywhere in the English speaking world, right? Have you done any international ones? Not yet. Well, yeah, I guess so. Uh, I did. Uh, it was a pre-recorded puppet show, though, but for a library down in South Carolina. Nice. So that was the first time I'd ever done, I think, anything in the United States. And that was great. That was exciting. And then and then for the first time a few weeks ago, I did one for the Halifax Public Library. And that was first time I've ever done anything other than a birthday party for my sister who lives on Prince Edward Island. That's the first time I'd ever done anything mm-hmm. on the East coast of Canada. Right. So yeah. Different time zone. Totally different time zone. Yeah. And so you have to keep that in mind because you don't want to be either early or late or whatever it is for the, for the show. And then yeah. I did, 
now I'm, I'm doing a few things for like places in Northern Ontario, like Brighton coming up and yeah. um, just outside of my, I don't think Brighton is actually Northern Ontario, but no, it's still sad. outside of my driving distance. Yeah. So that's been an advantage. Like I, I feel like I'm not doing live shows much at all now, but I feel like my audience has maybe gotten bigger. And also uh, the other thing I've learned is like how to even do it, even like pretty soon after the pandemic hit, I just started going onto Facebook and doing live streams Yeah, just to keep in practice. Cause I knew that if, if I didn't have any live shows coming in, then I was gonna, you know, it's, I was fairly regularly performing at like birthday parties and libraries and things like that. And then all of a sudden they were all gone. So I'm like, well, that's what I'm used to. That's what I know. So it was mm-hmm. almost like just a, an instinct to just keep, where am I going to perform now then? It's either I perform like for my dog <laughs> or, you know, out on the street or I can go on the internet and do, you know, see how that goes. So that was, that was valuable because now I'm at least I have an inkling of how to do it, you know, how to go on Facebook and how to stream things. And, and, if, and at first I was just doing all my regular shows that I already had written. And then once I ran out of those, you know, I went for a couple months, maybe doing things that I already had, then I had to come up with new material. And that's been really good too, because now I, uh, I started doing um, little shorter 10 minute pieces on a mm-hmm. bi-weekly sort of basis, twice a week. And, um, and those have been fun because, you know, I'll, quite often I'll write them in the morning and then I'll do them in the afternoon. So it's really like immediate and I'll, you know, I'll yeah. come up with an idea and I'll like jot down as much as I can get out and then just do it, you know, and just not worry as much about is it perfect or not perfect and all that. Just have fun with it. Hey, it's Ian. I'm just here to let you know about two of our newest books, Teaching Kids About Climate Change and Teaching Teens About Climate Change. Each one is kind of like an educator's toolbox with ready-to-use hands-on lessons focused on four core dimensions of climate change. Visit greenteacher.com to get your copies. We also have special rates available for bulk orders, and all proceeds go back into the nonprofit. Aha! Goals are circling around what looks like a school of fish. This is the kind of place where a whale might show up. The purple pirate looks ahead intently. That's a good segue to the way you use the materials. And I find it really interesting and, mm-hmm. and to my eye, aesthetically quite appealing that you don't hide the raw materials that the puppets are made of. I, without giving puppet names away, you've got one character that's very clearly made from an oven mitt. And <laughs> I think that's yeah. I think that's great. And that ties into the whole idea of recycling and upcycling and yeah. taking something that could be garbage and making it into mm-hmm. something that is even more valuable. And I think that's a nice segue into how puppet mm-hmm. making can be used in educational settings, whether it's a classroom or a library. And you actually do puppet making demonstrations during yeah. your shows. That's right. That's true. Yeah. At the end of every show, I always teach the kids how to make a puppet just by folding a piece of paper. But also, yeah, um, also around that time uh, when the pandemic started and I started streaming online, I in addition to puppet shows, I started doing twice a week uh, puppet making workshops. And and those were just like making puppets out of the most, because I figured everyone's at home and they don't, you don't want to go to the dollar store or wherever to get a lot of fancy Mm -hmm. supplies to make puppets. And it doesn't ever need to be that. So I started doing a series of workshops just on making puppets out of things that you might have on hand. And yeah, they were often 
things that you're were going to be recycled or things that were going to be garbage. So make a puppet out of an old chip bag was one that I did or mm-hmm. make a puppet out of a yogurt container, make a puppet out of a soup can. So it's, yeah, it's a great way to just uh, teach kids to reuse things instead of throwing them into the landfill or recycling or wherever they're headed. So And with something like a yogurt container, a single use plastic suddenly becomes a multi-use plastic. Oh yeah. And boom, you've just tied into the plastic pollution issue and ocean pollution. And that could tie into a show like The Purple Pirate, which takes place on the seas. Even if it's not directly embedded into the show, it's maybe a discussion point that the educator brings up with the students afterwards during the puppet making Mm -hmm. process. So there's just so much educational opportunity with the whole experience, not just the show itself, the whole, uh, the follow up and everything that comes before as well. Yeah. Yeah. For example, too, the stage that I use is a refrigerator box. Like it's a, it's a reused. Yeah. It's cardboard or it's not cardboard anymore. I had to remake it out of plastic, but, but yeah, that's, (laughs) that's a cardboard box that would have gone to landfill that was used for about 15 or I got about 15 or 20 years of use out of, of that box before I finally got soggy one day when I did the puppet show in the rain, which is not, Uh. No, a happens. good idea if your puppet show is a carpet. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So. Well, what kid doesn't like a a big cardboard box? I mean, that's just that you know you get a a big toy, you spend five minutes playing with the toy, and the whole rest of the day playing with the box. I, I know I did that as a kid. <laughs> yeah, it's the greatest thing. Yeah, it can be anything. Cardboard box. Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek, Huron-Wendat. Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. Even around this school of fish, there's no big purple whale to be found. So fourth mate Mike has an idea. Well, let's finish off with stories. I mean, you've done so many live shows in person and more recently virtual, and you must have many memorable stories of either things that went really well or things that maybe didn't go as planned but were still memorable. Uh, mm-hmm. Any one or two stories that kind of jump out at you? Um, it's been a long time, so I'm trying to think of because kids will be sometimes really. <laughs> I remember once a little girl came up to me, and this had nothing to do with even the puppets. I hadn't even started the puppet show, but I was sort of standing in front of the puppet show, and the audience was sitting on the floor in front of me. I think it was a Christmas party or something, and a little girl in the audience must have been like two or three, and she's she was saying something to me. So I sort of leaned in to hear what she said. And she was telling me that she, sometimes she had a hard time making pee. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that that was like, I thought that was like such a funny, I took it as a compliment that she trusted me with that information. Yeah. I mean, sometimes kids can be so honest, right. And that's what's why they're such a good audience. It's like, they'll give you immediate feedback um, on what's going on and either they like it or they don't. And, uh, so that was funny. Um, I remember once I forgot my stage. That was pretty exciting. Okay. That, that's a challenge. It was a challenge. I showed up to a birthday party. And basically when I go to do a puppet show, I have to bring two things. And one is the puppets that are all in one suitcase. So I don't forget any of that. But yeah. the other thing is a sort of a big portfolio bag that has the stage folded up inside of it. And for whatever reason that day, and it has only happened once, but I forgot stage so i drove up to the the person's house who's i was going to perform at and i just sort of looked in the back of my car and i'm like 
where's the stage? The stage is not there. And I, so I kind of looked again and it still wasn't there. And, and I realized I did not have the stage and I did not have time to go back. <laughs> you know, it was a good 35 minute drive from where I live. And so I had to like, just, I just was like, okay, it was time to go in. I just knocked on the door. I said, listen, I'm going to apologize right up front. I forgot to bring the stage. I said, I can probably make something. And they were told that people were so nice about it. They're like, oh yeah, don't worry, we'll, we'll figure it out. And I, I went in and I sort of rigged up. I took the, I asked them first, but I took the cushions off of their sofa and I kind of leaned them up, you know, into like a, a structure of yeah. some kind that I could sort of crouch down behind. And it was on the verge of tipping over like the whole time, right? But, but you know, the kids, <laughs> some, my mom told me once, no one knows how it's supposed to go except you. So maybe the kids thought, that's how it's supposed to go. Maybe, you know, maybe even the parents thought that and it, it went fine. It went totally great. Like, despite the fact that I didn't have my puppet stage, thankfully I did have the puppets. So that yeah. might've been a worse situation if I forgot. <laughs> There's only so much you can get out of just opening your, your uh, fingers and thumb up and down <laughs> so many times. Yeah. Uh, but even then I suspect like many kids would have puppets in their house. They'd more than be happy to let you use. Well, even that, I bet you could, then you always have your socks. You can just mm -hmm. use your socks for a puppet show. It's not ideal, but that might work. But thankfully I had the puppets. If I forgot both the puppets and the stage, then I probably should retire when, when the day I do that, I guess. Yeah. Ho hopefully that day never comes. Uh, it's so interesting that on one hand, as you say, the kids are the most honest audience with this immediate feedback, but then at the same time can be so forgiving and are willing to buy anything. Like I know in, in clowning, mm. the art of clowning, it's like a cardinal mm -hmm. rule that you can't show the transition, like putting the nose on, taking the nose off. You're not allowed to show the audience. That's like a sacred rule. Mm -hmm. But with puppets, put the puppet yeah. on your hands, take the puppet off. doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think so. I and magicians have that sort of similar thing too, don't they? Where they don't reveal the tricks, but that's, I guess, more, that's similar. It's a similar sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah, with puppets, I often like, I try not to too much, like handle the puppets, like put them on and off, right? But often I'll be like, I'm going to bring out one puppet and then, and I'll be reaching. And as I'm reaching, I'm taking one off, putting it in and sort of, so they can see, yeah, that I'm switching. Yeah. And they know. And yeah, and as soon as it's on the hand and starts talking, those few seconds seem to be forgotten. And yeah, they're very forgiving that way. And not just kids, I think adults too. And um, But then other times, if kids are interested too in how I made the puppets or what's going on mechanically with the puppets, I'll take the puppet off and show them. Like sometimes they're interested to know what it looks like, you know, where your hand goes inside the puppet. So, yeah. And I have no problem just taking the puppet off and like holding it up and showing it to them, right? These puppets get used a lot, so they're not always as clean as they yeah. they could be. So that's, I don't know how disturbing that is for kids, but <laughs> they, get, they get well used and they're hard to clean. So, but yeah, I, kids don't, they're interested to see how it works and they'll switch them. They seem to make that switch from this is a thing to this is a character pretty easily. And then they can look forward to doing that on Earth Day, which is coming up on April 22nd. And you are going to be performing the live virtual event, The Purple Pirate, in his quest to find the Purple Whale. And anyone is free to tune in to this free event to see if the Purple Pirate and friends, there are many friends, can find the Purple Whale. Mm -hmm. Thanks for joining us, Mike. This has been really fun. No problem, Ian. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to meeting everyone on Earth Day. Hi there. You might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. 
Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats, and you know what? How about I let my co-host, Jade Harvey Barrel, tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade. Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats, our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like busy bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. So whether you're a teacher, educator, parent or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian? Definitely. Thanks, Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favorite podcast app. Fourth Mate Mike suggests that the Purple Pirate and Lobear will have a better chance of finding the Big Purple Whale if they have an audience. But where can they find one? They'll have to talk to Ian about that. Are you here? Where is that guy? Hello? Hey. Oh, yes. Hello. How's it going? Oh, yeah, pretty good. How are you? It's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. Now, I have never met a lobster in real life. I've seen some lobsters, but I've never actually talked to one. It's very nice to meet you. Lobear, is it? Yes, it's Lobear. I'm a lobster. You can call me Lob for short. Lob. It's, it's very nice to meet you, Lob. So, what are you up to today? Well, I was swimming. I was eating some uh, seaweed. Have you seen any whales today, Lobert? Uh, well, I don't want to say too much. Uh, oh. I saw earlier a beluga. Yes. Really? Yes. I don't want to say, Ian, I don't want to say too much about the purple whale, right? Who's in the show. But anyways, I didn't see him today. But I did see a beluga. So that's unusual because where I live, there's not that many belugas. Yeah, they're always usually up north. Beluga is one of my favorite whales. That's my second favorite. That's my second favorite whale. Do you want to know my Do you want to know my first favorite whale? Of course. What's your first favorite whale, Lobert? Thank you for asking, Ian. My first favorite whale is uh okay, I'm going to tell you using hints. You have to guess, Ian. Okay. I like oh, favorite... hints. Yes, hints, hints. It my first favorite whale is um okay, is um Two colors. Okay. They're not really colors. They're shades. There's white and black mixed together, all on one whale. Ian, what do you think? So he has some parts that are black and some parts that are white. Yes, that's right. Kind of like a panda bear, right? Yeah, sure, sure. It's like a panda bear. That's right. I think it's an orca. Yeah, you got it. That's right. Ian, my Ooh. favorite whale. My favorite whale is an orca. Right? Or a killer whale. They call him a killer whale sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. My second favorite, as you know, is a beluga. One of my favorite songs is Baby Beluga by Rafi, one of my favorite kids performers. Sure, that's right, Rafi. He's a, he's a legend. 
He's Canadian. Yes. And he's from uh, the West Coast, I believe. He is. Where they have many uh, orcas. They do have orcas around Vancouver Island. Now, you mentioned about the purple whale, but you were kind of mysterious about it. What's the big secret about the big purple whale? Well, it's just that he's a big part of the puppet show, you know, we don't want to give away all of the good parts in the puppet show, right? So, okay. if we talk too much here about the purple whale, we're like, oh, I saw a purple whale, he's nice, uh, tell him his name and all of these things. Then when it comes to the puppet show, then we will not have as much surprise. Okay. Is there anyone else from the show that I can meet? Oh, sure. You want to talk with the, um, you want to talk to, um, uh, my boss? Of course. He's the yeah. purple pirate. He's the purple pirate there. Would you like to, would you like me to go and get him? That'd be great. Yeah. Okay. Wait here. Wait here. I will go. I will go and see if I can find him. Oh, nice to meet you, Ian. Nice to meet you, Lobear. I will wait here to meet oh. your okay. boss. Okay, you are here. I will go. I will go and get him. Bye, everyone. Bye. Okay. okay. Bye. Thanks, Lil Bear. Captain Purple. Ahoy, Lil Bear. Ahoy. Oh. Ian is there. He wants to talk with you. Oh, good, Ian. Where is he? Oh, ahoy, Ian. Hi, are you the Purple Pirate? Aye, that's right. I be the Purple Pirate. Ahoy, ahoy. I understand that you are on a quest, a special quest to find somebody. Oh, yes, I think so. Ian, I don't really find out about that until the puppet show starts. But yes, uh, I have okay. seen the puppet show before and know that there is somewhat of a quest that I am involved in uh, within the puppet show, which, by the way, is named after me, the Purple Pirate. That's the name of the show, right? I, I, that'd be the name of the show. And I, being the Purple Pirate, am the host and main character of, for the most part, of the show. Mm-hmm. Are you going to have any of your friends during uh, the show? Mates. Your yes. mates. You mean mates? Of course. How many mates do you have? Oh, my mates. Ian, my mates. I have, uh, let me think now. Uh, hang on now. Um, uh, oh, I have roughly, uh, four-ish mates. Four-ish? Like four and a half? Uh, well, yeah, roughly. Sometimes there's more mates. Sometimes there's less mates. Okay, right? it's like an average. All right, it's an average. Okay. Can you tell me the name of one of your mates, just so that we kind of have a hint for Earth Day? All right. One of me mates, one of me mates, her name be Kira. Uh, she's me first mate. She's me okay. best mate. Her name, she's, she's in the puppet show. Kira. Me first mate, her name be Kira. First mate Kira. So we're going to see her on Earth Day. Hi, on Earth Day, ye shall meet first mate Kira, me first mate uh, on Earth Day. And we're going to meet Lobear the lobster again too, right? Lob? Uh, I, I believe so. Lobear, uh, will you be here on Earth Day? Yeah, sure. I already said that to them. Okay. Okay, uh, yeah, I just wanted to confirm. Now, Lobert is interesting. Aye, aye, Lobert is an oven mitt lobster. Oh, he's an oven mitt lobster. Yeah, I've never seen that kind before. Aye, it's rare. It's rare. Uh, Mike, Mike, fourth mate Mike, uh, one of me mates, he made uh, Lobert using an oven mitt. Are you telling everyone about my, what I'm made out of? Yes. Okay. Aye. Um, Ian. No secrets. Aye, no secrets. Well, Purple Pirate, or mm -hmm. is it Mr. Purple Pirate? Aye, it's Purple Pirate or Captain Purple. Me mate. Captain Purple. 
Well, Captain Purple, it's really nice to meet you, even just for a short time today. And we're going to meet you and Lobear on Earth Day. Ian, maybe ye can be me fifth mate, and then the average of mates will go up by uh, point uh, something percent. I, I like that idea. I will get my best fifth mate suit on and be ready. And prepare your resume. I, well, I'll do that too. I'll do that tonight, and I will roll it up as a scroll and give it to you properly, like a good sea captain. The adventure is far from complete, but the magic ingredient is in place. An audience. Now, the real fun is set to begin. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terian. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon. your voice ever get hoarse doing all the different character voices it does but i if i do a lot in a day like if i do more than like three or four shows in a day it'll start to get hoarse but if you have a day rest you're fine by the next day yeah doing live shows i would often be in the car before the show like just running through the vowels like yep. the character Ooh, voice. Yeah. yeah yeah just to make sure all the voices were organized in my head and that mm -hmm. I had them all or, or even sometimes just to find something new in a, in the voice. Yeah. Just to make it kind of fresh. Yeah. I noticed low bear is a, a good high pitched voice it contrasts nicely with the purple pirate. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what I, I try to like just stagger them. Right. So that you have a